Greetings again, everyone. Welcome back to the Codex or the Codec. I am your host, Q, and this week is just me again. Last week, you had Kyle, Matilda, and I talk about the chicken and the egg, going on to school and drugs and vaccines and languages and whatever, you know, where where podcasts take you. Now, this week, I'm going to be talking about something that I'm very passionate about. And when I say very passionate about, I have a, some might say, concrete passion for this. And of course, if you know me well enough, I will be talking about concrete. More specifically, cement, because that's what concrete is. It's cement with some stuff in it. Now, I'll go through what cement and what concrete are later, and I'll also tell you why I'm so passionate about it. Uh, Hint, hint, it's just some books. And if you're not reading, go, go read. Books are great. Now, what I've done here this week, unlike what I do every other week, is I've recorded the first section, and then I've done subsequent sections chronologically. So I've done this bit first, the middle bit second, and the last bit third. Now, why is this? Well, there's, there's, a, there's a reason. I haven't just randomly decided to do this. The reason is, is that this one is becoming more of me talking about something which is more simple. It's me talking about something I like to do and I'm interested in, and so it leads very well from the summary to the main bit, to the conclusion, and the goodbye bit. Now, let's get on to actually what concrete is, and you'll you'll hear a quick fade-in into where I'm actually talking about concrete. So, concrete. What is concrete? Why is concrete? How is concrete? When is concrete? Where is concrete? Now, concrete is basically just cement with aggregate in it. What is aggregate? Aggregate is your bits. If you've ever seen concrete, if you've ever shattered some concrete, you see that inside concrete you have bits of gravel, bits of sand. Sorry, not bits of sand, you wouldn't see the sand, but you'll see a lot of gravel. Now I have a gripe against gravel, Um, I will talk about gravel some other time, you might have heard me talk about it in the catch up with Francois and Henry, but I do do dislike gravel um, intrinsically. But that's not the point. So let's start with cement, because that's what it is. Cement grabs onto all these different bits of aggregate, all these bits of gravel, increasing the concrete's volume and increasing its structural properties, basically. Cement in itself is fairly brittle. Um, It can't take much of a beating, but concrete can. So here's the question. What is cement? Now, let's go into some chemistry quickly. Um, There are two types of cement. There is hydraulic and non-hydraulic cement. I know, very, very creative. Now, what this means is that one of them requires water, i.e. hydraulic, hydro coming from water, and one doesn't, non-hydraulic, non-hydro, not requiring water. So hydraulic cement is the one that's most popular. Um, If you've ever seen a cement mixer, that will be cement powder that you've mixed with water and is now churning. So what happens here? Well, firstly, you take some limestone from a rock. This is why you powderize rock. And rocks have limestone. So that is calcium carbonate, chemical formally, Ca, that's your calcium, carbonate, CO3. Now, what does this mean? Well, this means that if any of you have done GCSE chemistry, you know that calcium carbonate uh, thermally decomposes. This is the main thing. You'll put some marble chips under a Bunsen burner and you'll see some smoke being evolved and then um, calcium oxide, um, a a, a white solid, be produced um, at the bottom. 
Um, this this white oxide is white oxide. This uh, white solid is also known as um, lime. So if you know lime water, this is uh, calcium oxide that you've put in lime water to form calcium hydroxide. And calcium hydroxide is only slightly soluble in water, so you see sort of bits in in lime water. That's what that is. Okay, so you've taken some of your calcium carbonate, your CaCO3. You've applied quite a bit of heat to it, and what you've gotten is, by some basic arithmetic, you've got CaO, calcium oxide, and CO2, carbon dioxide. Now, of course, the carbon dioxide isn't great, contributes to global warming, so on and so forth, but let's leave that for another day. So you've now got this calcium oxide. And what do you do with this? Well, you re react this lime, this calcium oxide, with some silicon dioxide. And silicon dioxide, SiO2, is basically sand. So if any of you have seen Tom Scott videos, you'll know of the sand mafia. This sand is, is, is a special type of sand. You'll have to find um, the correct type of sand. If it's the wrong type of sand, you won't just won't get the same effect. So... There are uh, two species uh, produced from this. You have uh, dicalcium silicate, so two, time, uh, two, two lots of CaO and one SiO2. That's dicalcium silicate, the uh, two calciums, and silicate is the number of oxygens. And then you have tricalcium silicate, which, as you've guessed, three CaO plus, CaO, uh, plus SiO2. So that is 3CaO-SiO2 being your um, lattice. So a lattice in chemistry, um, and often in physics as well, is just a regularly arranged um, solid group of atoms or molecules or compounds. And then what you have is the exact same lime, the CaO, reacting with aluminium oxide, also known as alumina, to form tricalcium aluminate, which is 3CaO-Al2O3. And then finally, uh, what you have is the calcium oxide, your lime, your CaO, reacting with alumina, aluminium oxide, Al2O3, and um, ferric oxide, which is basically rust, um, Fe2, so this is uh, uh, iron in its third oxidization state, Fe2O3, which goes to form C4CaO, Al2O3, Fe2O3, and that is what we have cement has. And so how is this done? Well, you basically just combine everything you had previously. And as is the case in most of chemistry, and especially most of engineering, you're not just going to have some bit lying around, which is a bit useless, adding extra weight. So I say extra weight, extra mass. So each of these compounds, just hit my keyboard. So each of these compounds has their own special purpose. The dicalcium silicate and tricalcium silicate are both used for the cement's mechanical properties and the tricalcium aluminate and I forget the name of the last compound but it's the one with 4CaO plus Al2O3 plus Fe2O3 the one where you react four moles for units for quantities of calcium oxide with one quantity of both aluminium oxide and um, ferrous oxide or iron oxide. Now well I should be careful there it's Iron 3 oxide, not iron 2 oxide. Iron 2 oxide, for those of you who understand chemistry, basically, to neutralize the charges, you require equal charges on both your anion, the negative one, and the cation, the positive one. I never do it that way. I always say cation and anion, but I did it the other way around this time. Um, if you remember it, 
it's cations. Uh, cats have pores, so cations are positive. Um, that's the way my chemistry teacher taught it to me uh, early in GCSEs. So uh, if you wanted a way to remember that, that's that. Now, what does this mean? Well, cement is hydraulic cement, at least, is composed of these four things. You have your uh, dicalcium silicate, your tricalcium silicate, your tricalcium aluminate, and then the other one. We'll just call it the other one for now, um, the one with everything in it. And so when you add water, uh, of course, what you have is a... It, it, it turns into cement. And when I say cement, it turns into our slightly wet cement. And then once you let it set, doesn't dry. Once it sets, you then have your cement. Now, why am I so specific as to it not drying? Now, I say it doesn't dry because the water which you add into the cement, if you've ever cast any cement, you realize that the water doesn't leave the cement. If the water were to leave the cement, what you'd get is pools of water around your cement. That's not what you get. Instead, what happens is that the water enters the lattice, enters the lattice of the mixture of these four compounds, expands the lattice, so it increases its volume from when it was just the powdered form, and now what you have is the water inside the lattice. And you can't say that that dries, because for something to dry, it must lose water. For example, if I have water in my hair and I dry my hair, my hair has lost water from the inside or the absorbed bit of my hair. Either the water is absorbed, as in cement, or in my hair, or it's adsorbed, i.e. my hair. It's on the outside, uh, absorbed on the inside, adsorbed on the outside. Now, in cement, it almost always purely absorbs. So your cement will take in all the, all, all the water um, as much as it needs. And then um, it will reject the rest of it. The lattice can't fit that much water into it. So once the lattice expands and then it realizes, oh, I can't take any more, um, that's when uh, the water will adsorb and only be on the outside. And that's when you tell, oh, I've put too much water in this. So this is why I have a gripe when someone says, oh, cement dries. It doesn't dry. If cement were to dry, if, if cement didn't have enough water, it'd crack. Um, simply because that's what happens with dry things. Dry things crack. They have fissures. They have fractures. This is one of the main issues, which I'll come back to in a second. But this is what happened with Roman concrete. Though the Romans being as intelligent as they were um, a few millennia ago, they found a way around that by putting ash in their concrete and cement. Let's quickly put a pause on our hydraulic cements and go to non-hydraulic cements. So as I've stated earlier, hydraulic cements are cements where once you add water to said powder, you will get your eventual cement. Non-hydraulic cements are the opposite. You don't need to add water. Usually it's um, reaction with a gas and uh, can set under air um, without needing water. Now, multiple reasons as to why hydraulic cement is much more prevalent than non-hydraulic cement. This is because it's more expensive to make and you require some very, very high temperatures for it. And I think there's also a lot of time in this as well. You can probably check the Wikipedia page. I'm trying to do this all by, all by memory. It's not, not that great. If you know me, you know my memory is pretty shoddy. So trying to remember all the steps of cement this well is already quite a, quite a challenge. So non-hydraulic cement. It starts off with exactly the same step that hydraulic cement starts off with. You heat up some calcium carbonate, your CaCO3. 
So calcium, the Ca, CO3, carbonate, carbonate designates an ion. So the carbo means there's a carbon, and the eight means there's three oxygens in there. And because we also know the carbon um, is a four plus, oxygen is a two minus, therefore you'll be given a, I say you'll be given, the compound will have a two, uh, a negative two charge, two minus charge. And so your calcium carbonate come together to form a neutral species. You heat up your calcium carbonate to form calcium oxide and carbon dioxide. So nothing we haven't heard in the last 10 minutes or so. Now, this step is the step which we haven't encountered before. And you add water. Now, I, I said this doesn't require water. What I meant is that this method doesn't require water when it's being set. It requires water to make, but it doesn't require water to set for the same reason that you would say that setting concrete doesn't require energy. It has Energy has gone into making the cement powder, but you don't need direct energy in order to make the set cement. So when you add calcium oxide to water, what you get is calcium hydroxide. So you have the equation CaO plus H2O goes to form CaOH2. And now OH2 being two OHs. And what you have here is when all the excess water that you've added, all the H2O that you've added to the CaO evaporates, so that you have all the CaO has now reacted with the water to form your calcium hydroxide, which, as I've said earlier, is slightly soluble, which means that it, it can sort of exist, so it, it sort of hangs around in water, as it were, um, but most of it is soluble, so you most of it will just be inside um, this, the, the solvent. Though some of it will be floating around, so if you've ever seen lime water, that's exactly what you're seeing. So GCSE biology or GCSE chemistry, um, that practical where you have to blow through a straw. I know less so now, though uh, two years ago when I was doing mine, same thing. You blow through a straw into some lime water, and suddenly it would just go completely cloudy. And what you've got there is the next equation, where you have CaOH2, your calcium hydroxide, plus CO2, which is in the residual atmosphere, Although it's only about, it's less than 1% of the atmosphere, it's still enough um, to, to, to cause this reaction. This then forms your calcium carbonate, which is what you started with, and water. Now, some of you may be wondering, hey Q, when you're just saying that cement doesn't dry, that was a yes. <laughs> so, I see the issue there. Cement in the form which everyone on this planet knows it as, well I say everyone, most people on this planet knows it as, is hydraulic cement. Hydraulic cement does not dry, it cannot dry, the more dry it is, it's no longer cement, it's just powder again. However, non-hydraulic cement does dry, it cannot work underwater, unlike cement, although you probably don't want to be casting cement underwater. But what you do have in non-hydraulic cement is the water evaporating off to leave behind your calcium carbonate, and then what you have is your quote-unquote cement. And yes, I do use quote-unquote cement there because this is not what we usually attribute to cement. This cement is slightly different, not the hydraulic cement which we're uh, used to in concrete. This is a different cement, the calcium carbonate. It's basically devolved limestone and or marble, if that makes any sense. It's the same material as marble, though it's probably not as compact, but it's probably a bit more compact than limestone. So now let's qualify some concrete. This is my favourite bit of concrete. Why do I love concrete so much? I haven't clarified yet. 
A series of three books led me to my love of concrete. First, you have Mark Miodovnik's Stuff Matters. Stuff Matters is a brilliant book, whether you're a scientist or not. But if you if you are a scientist, that this might interest you a lot more. He goes into some chemistry, some math, some physics, and even if you're not a scientist, it's just a great read. Now, the book has multiple chapters, of course, most books do, and one of the chapters is dedicated on concrete. Now, concrete is everywhere. You you take a look outside, you'll find some concrete on your drive, in your house, in your foundations. The book describes, stuff matters, uh, describes when the shard was being built, there was a massive gaping hole in the centre of London outside one of the major train stations. This is London Bridge. And they just filled it with concrete. Because concrete is so dense, it's so stonk, it is so rigid, that you can use it as foundation. That's basically all you want as a foundation. You don't have to be a Christian to look at some of the wisdom Jesus said. I'm not, but still said some wise, wise things. In Matthew, he says, build your house upon rock, not upon sand. That's a paraphrase, but you understand what, what he's trying to get at there. He's just saying, build big buildings on things which don't fall over, please. Thank you. So that book first introduced how cement works. I haven't quite quantified how it works, how it forms the lattice. I will in a second, but only hydraulic cement, because non-hydraulic cement is basically just precipitation. And when I mean precipitation, I don't mean raining, I don't mean sleet or hail or snow. I mean a precipitate is formed out of a solvent. That solvent being water, that precipitate being calcium carbonate. Now, the other two books are a series of two. I read them in the wrong order, it seems. The New Science of Strong Materials and Structures, or Why Things Don't Fall Down, by one James Edward Gordon. If you are interested in this book, you may search him under J.E. Gordon. might turn up a bit easier. But both of these cover some fairly, I'd say, yeah, fairly late 20th century material science which is the course I have applied to read at all my universities, bar one. I won't go into that. It's a complicated story. So these three books laid down what material science basically is. And the main thing where you'll see concrete a lot is ignoring all the brutalism. It's a thing. Yeah, I know a lot of people I know don't like brutalism. It's a form of architecture where you basically just chuck concrete on things. But it's definitely useful in foundations. As I've said, it's very rigid. It's very dense. And that density brings the centre of mass of a building way down. Which means that, well, I say of a building, of any structure, it brings it way down. Which means that if there is a slight deviation, because of various reasons, usually it's wind, but also because of seismic activity, which we'll have near the coasts, um, especially on the west coast of the US, California for example, or very far uh, east in Asia. Notable examples or example in, is Japan. Japan is notable for its seismic activity, mostly earthquakes, not many volcanoes. So my brain has just remembered something which I've forgotten to clarify of the calcium silicate. Now, when you add the water to the dicalcium silicate, tricalcium silicate, the tricalcium aluminate, and the other one, what you get is formation of calcium silicate fibrils. This is between the dicalcium and tricalcium silicate being mixed into the other two. Now what these fibrils are is you basically get one molecule of water and this causes the di and tricalcium 
silicate, I'll just call them calcium silicates, to form strands. These strands are called fibrils. Uh, biologists out there, you might know fibrils. This term sounds like fibrin, which causes uh, blood to clot, so on and so forth. And what you have is a bunch of these fibrils, which basically come together as strands, <clears throat> as strands. Now, a lot of these strands, you basically get a very fine mesh. And now this mesh is basically like, a, like clothes, right? So when you tug on clothes, it doesn't come apart, though this is on the molecular level. And what you have is a very tight mesh. It's like when you get two books and interlace the pages. It's exactly like that. But imagine in all three dimensions from all directions, not just perpendicular to each other. Okay, so now moving on to concrete instead of cement. So as I've said, concrete is when you add gravel or an aggregate, basically just to increase the volume and increase the mechanical properties or improve the mechanical properties of the cement. What this means is you usually just chuck a bunch of gravel into your pot of cement. The gravel will mix through the cement, a lot like when you add things into bars of chocolate. They just go through instead of laying on top. And what you have is a bunch of gravel throughout the cement. It's now called concrete. It just works that way. The earliest concretes were discovered by the Romans, actually, a number of years ago, maybe at least two. And what they did is they had hydraulic setting cement, and they added some types of ash, which prevented uh, cracks from spreading. And they'd also add their own aggregates, which I don't think are very well documented, but I've heard that in Rome, for example, they used to take the smashed up pots of, well, just smashed up pots and or wine bottles and use that as aggregate. Anything that basically increases the volume and increases the structural stability in either tension or compression is useful. Now, anyone who's taken or is taking or has taken A-level physics out there will be the OCR course, at least. I'm not sure about NXL or AQA. But the OCR course covers a material science module, or just it's just called materials. And what you will have learnt is that there is an ultimate tensile strain on things. And what that means is that a point at which the material breaks. Now, what the materials module doesn't tell you, or it infers it but never specifically tells you because it's a bit complicated, or whatever reason the exam board has to come up with it, is that there are different values for this for tension and compression. Basically, every material, or almost every material, acts completely differently in tension and compression. You can tell this with anything. A spring, for example. A spring that is used in suspension, it can only be used in compression. You pull it in tension and basically is useless after a period of time, or after a certain force is applied. Now, this thing also applies to concrete. So concrete is very, very good in compression. It can hold, one small block of concrete can hold about 12 people and it'll be fine without breaking. It is very unlikely to snap, or crack, sorry, not snap. However, in tension, it's less strong. So what do we have to improve that? Everyone here will likely have heard of reinforced concrete. Now, what is reinforced concrete? It's concrete with bits of steel in it. And what this means is the steel improves in tension. So the concrete, the calcium silicate fibrils, bond directly to the surface of the steel and what you have is a very very tight connection uh, a, a chemical bond between the cement and the iron now i am a proponent of calling reinforced concrete ferrocrete because it just sounds better and that's what i'll be calling it from now on so the ferrocrete has the iron in it or the the, the ferro part is the iron 
Now, why is iron used instead of tungsten, for example? Which, if you're going to use it for its density, tungsten is the densest element in the periodic table, why wouldn't you use tungsten? Well, a good friend of mine said the other day that it's because they have very similar thermal expansion rates. So what this means is that per unit temperature you increase, how much volume does, does this material increase by? Now, if you have two different materials, say you had a bar of aluminium and a bar of iron and taped them next to each other, and you slowly increase the temperature, what you'd experience is a bending. So one will increase in length and volume quicker than the other. I'm not sure which one's quicker than the other one, but one of them will be quicker than the other one. I'm guessing the aluminium is has a greater thermal expansion than the iron. So what you get is a bending with the iron on the inside, and you have the aluminium on the outside of this arc, as it were. Now, the same thing is true with concrete. However, the, the similarity in thermal expansion is such that you won't see much of an arc. So if you have one rod submerged in concrete, if you increase the temperature, what you'll have is the entire structure increase. Now, what we also have in modern day society is beams. Now, what a beam is, is basically something which is supported on one or both ends without support through the centre. Now, uh, examples of beams are bridges. Most bridges are beams uh, or cantilevers. All cantilevers are half a beam. Now, cantilevers are special because what you have is that, say you have your arm outstretched. If you outstretch your arm directly in front of you, the top of your arm is now in tension because the mass of your arm is trying to pull it downwards so that the top has to stretch in order to pull your arm back up, basically. The bottom of your arm is now in compression because it's being pushed down by the mass of your arm. So that's how that works. Now, why is this an issue? This means that most things will be in both tension and compression at some time, especially concrete. If you're using concrete to just basically bridge any small gap, it doesn't have to be big at all, just any small gap, maybe a centimetre or two wide, you will have bits of tension and bits of compression. And because we've established that concrete is really good in compression, that tiny bit of tension could ruin it. So cement by itself or concrete by itself is very, very useless in tension. It will break apart. When I say very, very useless, compared to most other things, compared to wood, for example, you probably couldn't break apart a piece of concrete with your hand, but a, a, a few tons of steel and glass above it could. Now, once you get ferrocrete, the iron literally bonds to the concrete, and thus you're not going to get much issue with the pulling apart or the compression um, at most because the steel will help with compression and more importantly it will help with the tension. So there we are. There is most of the chemistry, or should I say some of the chemistry, behind hydraulic and non-hydraulic concretes, or cements sorry, which will then be made into concretes and ferrocrete. Now let's touch back on the question why am I passionate about concrete? It's one of two things. Actually it's both of these things. The first one is that concrete is everywhere. And you can describe to people about concrete and they'll be interested most of the time because they'll understand that, oh, look, it's everywhere. Let's let's understand this a tiny bit more. It's like how the first natural philosophers saw the world. They thought, oh, look, there's this cool thing. Let's wonder why it did that. And so it's a very similar thing with concrete. You'll be walking past a building that's 
got concrete in it and you can just start talking about it. It's one of the joys in life. You know, bird watching, train spotting, concrete. It it's on the it's on the same same path. Stargazing, sunbathing, you know, concrete. It it works on the same fundamental level. And the second reason is because concrete is a perfect example of what materials can do when you have things in perfect harmony. Now most things in science are like this. You have perfect harmony in I say most things in science, most applied things in science, not physics and chemistry, because not physics and chemistry, physics and maths. A lot of that is way too theoretical for it to be useful in the applied manner at all. But what you have with cement and concrete is you have your dicalcium silicate, your tricalcium silicate, your tricalcium aluminate, and the other one in such perfect balance that it gives you the perfect density. I say perfect as in we haven't found anything better yet the best density so far, the best mechanical properties so far, the best thermal expansion property, etc. That's just a mechanical property, and so on and so forth. And concrete is just ubiquitous, so that you get a combination of these two. You can talk to people about why it's used, how it's used, but you can also talk about how joyful it is on a more meta level, why concrete is used here, more than just why it's used here. How it's used is fairly obvious, but why and why? Why on a scientific level and why on an intrinsic level? Why use concrete and not something else? Because if it was something else, you'd probably be talking about that thing. But no, concrete has these special little tidbits about it, which make it interesting. And that's why I thought, you know, let's make a podcast episode on this. Some people might be happy to listen about concrete. If they're not, then you skip this episode. I don't know. But for those of you who are still listening at this point, thank you. Thank you for listening to this little episode on concrete. Why? Why did I decide to make an episode on concrete? Not just why I'm interested in concrete. Well, I thought I'd share some of the love of concrete. Concrete is something which I'm very passionate about, as you can probably tell. It's something which I quite like talking to other people about, hence there's there's this podcast episode on it. Crucially, crucially, I think it's right for other people to appreciate concrete and just the world around you. Why, why are things as they are? Question things. Sapere aude, as it were. That is a Latin phrase to mean dare to know. Go ask questions. Go talk about concrete. It's great. The world is a better place with these questions in it. This might just be the inner STEM student in me wondering. STEM stands for Science, Technology, Engineering and Mathematics. That is the purpose. That is the purpose of this entire podcast. So, yeah. (laughs) Intrinsically, that is why. And hint, hint, there may be an episode about why podcasts exist in the future. So, thank you. Thank you for listening to me rant about concrete for the best part of half an hour. I've been talking about concrete for a while and I can hear my throat starting to set. Thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed and I'll see you next week. Ta-ta.